The parable of the unforgiving servant. It has a positive section to it, if you will. We see the greatness of God's forgiveness toward us. But then there's the negative side. And we have this unforgiving servant that, regardless of this huge debt, was not willing uh, to forgive another with such a small debt. That is our mission this night, to look at Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We will do a little bit of reading this evening. So first we want to read the text. We'll do uh, a short examination of some, some details about this idea of forgiveness. And then we'll go back and try to examine some of the verses and see if we can... Uh, Discover some truths for us, a little bit more detail as, uh, as time permits. So Matthew eighteen twenty one, please. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. Verse 24. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, that he should pay till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? Even as I had pity on thee, and his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. Let's consider some questions about the idea of forgiveness this evening. So exactly what is forgiveness? Let me relay a story to you. Actual story. Two college kids. They were in their um, their dorms, and a young man was throwing a glass Coke bottle down the hallway just for fun. Unfortunately, as he threw it, a young man stepped out of the door of his, um, his dorm room, and the Coke bottle hit him in the temple. He slumped to the floor and died. As the mother and father of that child, their only child, their son, as uh, they... Uh, 
began to recover barely from their grief, they approached the young man that had thrown the bottle. And they asked him, um, it's so easy to be emotional these days. Uh, they asked him to be their son. See, this young man had lost his parents. And so he was an orphan, if you will. I realize he was in college. So look at this image of forgiveness, please. The one that had killed their son, they took into their home and cared for him. Wolf, how in the world do you wrap your head around that? But I see the heart of a Christian in their behavior. Uh, Very difficult? Extremely. Forgiveness. That's exactly what that was. The idea of forgiveness, as we define that word, it is to send away. And specifically, what we're sending away is sin. But when we seek forgiveness, there's something that's implied. The personal inability to remedy the violation of law. We're seeking something that we can't give to ourselves. Forgiveness is something that has to be given. So what is there to forgive? 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is lawlessness. Brethren, if we've committed sin, we're rebels in that sense. We have separated ourselves from God and we have rebelled against His law. As we remember from Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, specifically verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Our iniquities are the problem. So that is what there is to forgive. So the question may follow, are we to forgive? Isn't that something that's only divine? Remember in verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not. Yes, we have the obligation to forgive. Lawrence Stern made this comment. Only the brave know how to forgive. A coward never forgave. It's not in his nature. 1760. And it's interesting, the comment. It takes a lot of courage to forgive. When does God forgive? Remember 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is forgiving and loving. When are we to forgive? Look at verse 29 for a second, please. The fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. When someone requests it, just as we saw in the instance with God, we ask for forgiveness, and God forgives. When someone asks us, we should forgive likewise, which we'll see another verse that relates to that shortly. What does forgive and forget mean? Is that realistic? We use that term very lightly, but where did it come from? Can we literally forgive and forget? In Hebrews 8.12 and also in 10.17, we have this idea. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. But that's, that's speaking of God. He will not remember them. But specifically, what is that? That word remember is defined this way. 
to recall to mind and to remind oneself of. It's not as though when someone offends us greatly, something that we'll categorize as a large transgression, do we forget it? The point is we don't dwell on it. We don't rub their nose in it. We don't bring it back up. As with God, God knows the thoughts and actions of every human that has ever walked this planet. Does he not know the things that we've done? Of course he does. There are scriptures that talk about the idea that God will bring our sins to remembrance. But the point is, he's not going to bring them back unless there's a need. So God forgets. We see great verses that really give us great encouragement about the way that God forgives our sins. But the idea of forgive and forget, we just don't abuse people with that. When we forgive, it's forgotten, and we put it away. Of course, it's still in our mind, but we don't abuse them with that. James Hilton made this comment. What happens in forgiveness, peace to both parties, as we think about among humans. We have peace because we forgive. If you forgive people enough, you belong to them, but they also, um, and they to you, whether either person likes it or not, squatters right to the heart. We become endeared and connected with each other because of forgiveness. It's interesting how that works. To what extent does God forgive you and I? Look at verse 27. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Loosed and forgave. This is complete. The debt we will look at is is catastrophically large. In Mark 3.28, Jesus made this comment. And we, we can learn from this section of this verse, though. All sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. Well, all is all. So if someone is willing to follow God's plan for forgiveness, then they can have that forgiveness. Dr. Chapman, it was uh, Jay Wilbert, uh, made this comment. How far is the east from the west? Because of this idea in this verse. In Psalm 103, verses 12 and 13. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So there's the question. We have these designated places that we call the north and south. And we can go to a point and touch that point. But please tell me where east is. And where is west? We can travel west in our country and end up at the Pacific Ocean, but then then where is west? We can continue west. We're never going to arrive at west. We will never rise, arrive at east. Well, that's how far God has cast our sins away. It's a place that's unattainable. It's as though, as he has said, he would cast our sins into the depth of the sea. It's a place that we cannot get. To our understanding... That place in the sea is about three and a half miles deep. We can't stand the pressure. We have no way to get there. And it's just it's just an idea. But nonetheless, it's a place that, in other words, it's unattainable. To what extent are we to forgive others? And we can carry that farther and say even ourselves. Proverbs ten twelve says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Well, 
we can we forgive completely just as this idea that we've seen um, that God would completely forgive uh, loosed and forgave what about God's attitude toward the forgiven when someone becomes a babe in Christ they're immersed into Christ in baptism how are they how do they appear in God's sight all the past is forgiven they're cleansed and washed so should we assume that if a child of God then struggles, sins, and comes back to the Father and confesses that and is forgiven, that there would be a shade of gray on that person? By no means. They're once again cleansed, forgiven, just as a new babe. God completely forgives. So what is our attitude toward the forgiven? Brethren, we're supposed to emulate our Father in heaven so we don't hold things over people's heads. Imagine the person that we we categorize sin, don't we? Sin is sin in God's eyes. We take someone that we feel has done a very uh, egregious sin in, in society's eyes, and so do we distance ourselves from that brother or sister when they come back, make confession, and they're back among the, the church? Do we distance ourselves? Is our hand squeezed just a little bit lighter because we don't want to touch them because they're dirty? Brethren, we have to check our hearts and because we cannot do that because God completely forgives and we should too. Proverbs seventeen nine. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matters separateth very friends. When a brother or sister makes confession of sin, do we find ourselves saying, did you hear what brother so-and-so did? Now he's, he's repented and it's forgiven, but did you hear what he did? What are we doing? Where's our love for that person in trying to protect and guard their name? There's no sense in carrying um, that information on. We're trying to do what? We're trying to cover the transgression. They've repented. Let's put it away and forget it. We shouldn't look down on someone because that image will be reflected on ourselves. We're not wanting people to look down on us either, are we? So concerning temptation um, that people fall into at times, as this brother has here, he, he fell to the temptation of unforgiveness. We can't fall into that. Ultimately, what will happen, verse 35 is, is quite sobering. Ultimate judgment, if you will. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Which among us wants that? None, I am certain. What about ultimate forgiveness? Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea, as we mentioned earlier. What a wonderful thing. Also, First Peter 4, 8. And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Whose sins are covered in that verse? Ours. Charity will cover a multitude of sins. Us having charity or love for someone doesn't cover their sins. It's that proper attitude in us that covers a multitude of sins in us.
So let's look at the text for a moment, please. So what is the root? Go to verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. The root of this parable is Peter's question. It concerns forgiveness. And he says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. I've heard it explained that Peter was being liberal with what was the normal quantity of forgiveness. And uh, so seven times is this number. And Jesus gives a specific number in the next verse. So we have to ask the question, is that our limitations? Verse 22. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So we have 490 times. So brethren... That's scriptural, isn't it? Shouldn't we have a pad and a pen and write down people's names and as they repent, give them hash marks. We hit 490, that's it. Write them off. Say you're done. No more forgiveness. No, of course not. This 490 is not a specific number. It's, It's a principle. It's an idea. We forgive as long as people are willing to repent. If that number is concrete, what if God uses it for us? What if 490 is the max? I'm in trouble. I've exceeded that, I'm sure, many times over. I hope that you have not, but I'm afraid that I have. 490, interesting. He was teaching a lesson. Luke 17, verses 3 through 5, is going to give us the same idea. It's a principle. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to, again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Verse 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. So here we have seven times of a brother returning and saying, Forgive me. So does that hit this? time period where they only get 70 more days of this and we've hit the 490 and they're done no it's a principle so here's the parable in a nutshell if you will money is used as a comparison to the quantity of forgiveness that is needed and the magnitude of the sins Because in verse 23, we're going to see, and 24. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. The king is a reference to God. Remember verse 35? So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you. We're going to see two of the words in the way they're used in here that I believe this is talking about a heavenly principle. First uh, Peter 4, 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? That, that day is coming. There will be a judgment. And we see that image in, in this parable. So, But in verse 24, And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Let's wrestle with that number for a moment. The talent, we have two different numbers. The Old Testament talent and the New Testament talent have different quantities of value. 
So I took the, the lesser of the two to be conservative. For today's money in terms, the New Testament talent would be approximately $48,000 in value. One talent. He owed 10000 That cranks the number up to $480 million in debt. For that time period, we have mega millionaires roaming all over the planet today. But for that time period, it seemed a little out of place. Where did this man come up with $480 million and what lavish lifestyle did he live to spend that? See, it's a parable. The point is, it's a quantity of sin. Let's make the number a little bit more realistic. If we look at today's standards, an average of $10 an hour, for their day, they were working 12-hour days, it looks like. Well, at the $10 an hour, that's going to be 48 million hours of work that they'll have to put in. For a 12-hour work day, that is 4 million work days. At six days a week, we're going to be 12,800 years. And at an average life expectancy of 78.3, that's 163 lifetimes. It's not an attainable number. Remember what the man said? I'll pay you all. It's not possible. He could not do it. And we cannot pay back the debt that we owe the God of heaven. It is not possible. We cannot work that off. There's no work that we could do to pay that back. It became something so intensely egregious to the God of heaven and sinful that Jesus had to shed his blood for it, for us. Amazing God's love for us. We'll see the comparison of what the, the other servant owed in just a moment. Verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. I can't think of a man that would not go to prison for his wife and children. Think of how large this just got for this man's life. All of a sudden, now, not only he is responsible for this, his wife and children are going to be sold in all his possessions. And I have news, it's only going to get worse. As we approach the end of this parable, that would have been a blessing for him compared to what's fixing to happen. But there was no way he could pay. The debt was too large. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This word worship here is actually worship. It's to kiss the hand as we would think about worship toward the God of heaven. What the next servant is going to do to seek forgiveness of the debt or patience to pay it is not the same word, which gives credit again, I believe, to the fact that this is an image of our debt sin to the God of heaven and man's debt to us and how we should behave. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's simple. The debt is forgiven and passed. Isaiah 38 and verse 17, Behold, for peace... 
hide great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Thank the God of heaven. Our sins are cast in the depth of the sea. They're cast behind his back. He says he'll remember them no more. How, how do we put, how do we show appreciation enough for the God of heaven that has loved us to that extent? I, I don't have words. All we can do is commit our lives in service to him in appreciation and further the cause of righteousness and praise him for eternity for who he is. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. How extreme. Took him by the throat. Why would he treat this fellow servant this way? A hundred pence. A pence is apparently for them a day's wages. And so if we look at that in the same numbers and terms that we looked at for the other one, $10 an hour, an average 12-hour day for their time period, it looks like that's what they worked. $120 a day for the 100 days, that's $12,000. And see, for us, $12,000 is huge. We say, someone owes me $12,000? That is really large in our minds. So it fits our time frame. You could buy a reasonably nice used car for $12,000. Compare that to the other debt, $480 million. The ratio there is one forty thousandth. It's not even worth discussing. They're not even close. The debt difference is huge. And yet he was forgiven this great debt. And yet he did not think to have compassion on his fellow servant and likewise forgive. We have the same danger. The sin debt that we owe to God is enormous. So the point of the parable is the need that we have to forgive one another. Our transgressions against each other are insignificant compared to what we have done in sinning against the God of heaven. That is the point. That's what we should grasp. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him. There's that word saying, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. The first one was worshipped him. This one's besought, which is just to beg. It's not appropriate to worship a man. He is begging a fellow servant. The first man was actually worshipping the God of heaven in that reference, in the way this parable is written. Second Peter one nine makes this comment and hath forgiven oh, I'm sorry and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. How quickly we forget that our sins have been purged and forgotten. Verse thirty. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. He forgot his blessing. I have a question. How is this lesser servant or the lesser debt? How is he going to pay that debt in prison? A hundred days of labor. How's he going to be in prison and work that off? 
Who's going to have the capacity to pay the debt for him so he can get out of prison? For that day and age, it seems like it's an insurmountable problem. He would have been more apt to get paid if his servant, fellow servant had been out working and giving him what he could each day, but no, he cast him into prison. So the fellow servant saw what was done, verse 31, and they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Just that simple. Just as for us, God forgives us that huge debt because we desire it. It's repentance and it's, it's sorrow for that, godly sorrow. And it's, it's asking and God freely forgives just by desire. Verse 33. Shouldest thou not, uh, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on my fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Colossians 3.13 makes this comment. It says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. That's our responsibility. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. For the Savior to be hanging on the cross and to say, Father, forgive them. It's huge. How do we wrap our minds around such love? We're without compassion if we do not forgive. We're without love if we do not forgive. And brethren, we're ungrateful if we do not forgive. So we talked about from bad to worse a moment ago, and here it has arrived. Verses 34 and 35. And the Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. $480 million in jail, being tormented until the debt is paid. How, how soon will he get the debt paid? Will his life have passed uh, before he uh, reaches the goal of compensation? Yeah, he'll, he'll never make it. Well, in the spiritual side, the debt that we owe God, when we're cast to the tormentors, if you will, how are we paying that debt back that we owe God? And eternity will not pass. As far as our capacity to have paid that back, eternity will continue because we'll never be able to do it. Eternity will continue on and on. As he continues in verse 35, that sobering verse, so likewise. From verse 34, given to the tormentors. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. Not superficial forgiveness, brethren, but from the heart, real and genuine. It's a sobering parable. It also brings great hope because we think of how large God's love is for us and what great debt he will forgive us just for the asking. Of course, this parable is written to whom? It's not written to non-Christians or for the time period, people that were not God's children. That is written to God's people. 
because someone can't just ask and be forgiven outside of Christ. But to put on Christ, we need to do some things. We need to believe Jesus is the Son of God because it is through Him and Him alone. No other name is given among men whereby we must be saved. It is through Jesus. No other saviors, not through any other world religions or any false religions um, or denominations. And that is not being unkind, that's scriptural. We're saved through Jesus. We believe on Him. We, um, we looked at John 3, 3 and 5 this morning and the idea that we have to be born again, born of water and the Spirit. We must repent. It's a change of mind. It's a change of behavior. We confess Christ before men. As we saw the eunuch do in Acts 8, his words were, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That continues throughout our life. That's not at the moment as we stand here and make the good confession as we say and take someone's confession and they say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But it continues through our life. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. If we confess Him before men, He'll confess us before the Father. Then the opposite side of the coin is if we deny Him, we'll be denied. Then we're baptized into Christ because we want to put our Lord on in baptism. Just like we see that beautiful image in Romans 6. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We can't be raised if we haven't been buried. Baptism is essential. As a child of God, we can be forgiven through confession and uh, prayer. And uh, we see that in First John, among other places. Brethren, it's challenging to be God's people because it makes us get out of our comfort zone and put away our own desires, our own emotional interest. We have to put our desires on hold and put the brakes on. And we have to... Um, put on constraints for our self-will and uh, put on God's will. And so it's quite a change. And so it's a process. So as we think about forgiveness, we have a great responsibility. But look at the great result. We ourselves will be forgiven. Let's strive to be more forgiving uh, each and every day as we try to be God's children. If you have a need this evening, won't you come as we stand and sing?